Welcome to Clean Integration, a Saluna podcast. Bitcoin, crypto, and batchable computing, could they be the keys to scaling the renewable sector? I sit down with experts to discuss the path to renewables and making them the primary and most affordable energy source. I'm John Belazare, CEO of Saluna, and your host. Ali Shaharasas is the co-founder and CEO of Terra Verde Energy, an independent energy advisory representing school districts, public agencies, and commercial enterprises. Terra Verde helps clients reduce energy use and costs by planning, designing, and implementing energy conservation measures, solar energy systems, and energy storage solutions. Ali has close to 20 years of experience working in the energy sector, with an extensive background in engineering and project management. Ali, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, John. So I'd love to learn about your background. Could you give us a tour of your background and how you got started in clean energy? Absolutely. I um, My background has uh, almost entirely been in the energy sector. Uh, hmm. My entry into... Uh, clean energy came through the path of solar, um, primarily from the start I have in my career, which was working in the oil sands industry in Canada. Um, mm. That's where I went to school, got my degree, uh, and uh, got my first job out of school, working in the oil sands and uh, doing project engineering for heavy upgrading facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, through my you know, career involvement in that sector um, through my personal research, uh, figuring out as a young engineer and engineering training, what we used to be called back in the day. Uh, I had my awakening moment of realizing that I want to spend the majority of my career, the big potential time I have in my career, in an area where I can make an impact, seeing the threads around climate change and the catastrophes that are heading towards us. And we are living with some of it as we speak. Hmm. Uh, I wanted to go and join the force to help make an impact where, you know, a nascent industry that was seeming like it was getting picked up. Uh, this is in mid aughts, mm-hmm. mid two thousands, um, would be a place where I could spend my time and the, at the time, I was envisioning the next four decades of my career working in to make a change. And I think at that time, solar was less than 1% of the energy electricity production on the grid. And I thought, well, to go from zero to a material number, is a long journey. And yeah. I might as well go try my hand there and help make an impact and put my skills to use there. And yeah. with that, that's how I made a transition from... Uh, oil and gas, uh, and from oil sands into solar. I was very fortunate to get connected to individuals that um, at the time I was working in Houston uh, on a job assignment. And there was a solar startup there called Tessera Solar. And they were a technology company plus a project development company. And they were looking to bring on uh, this technology called the Suncatcher. And the goal was to build gigawatt scale solar power plants in California, in Texas, and help drive the cost of solar development to 
at high scaling, at hard tooling on the manufacturing side to $3 a watt. That was a big vision back then. And yeah. that's how I got into clean energy. And uh, there's a lot more that comes from there, but uh, that's the story. And tell us about the transition. What's that pivotal moment where you decide to start your own firm and why, why did you decide to do that? So uh, at Tessera Solar, the business we were working on was uh, the large utility scale projects. And mm-hmm. um, by that time, I had already made a transition from a large oil company to a small startup. I loved the, the entropy, the hustle and bustle of a small company making an yeah. impact uh, and driving towards solutions that uh, was right there in front of you without any bureaucracy. Uh, that right. really resonated with me. And uh, as the story of Tessera Solar was wrapping up, um, I had this, call it maybe sense of confidence, which is troubling at times. But I thought, <laughs> you know, if I had a partner who was tied into project deals, land, um, especially something on the smaller distributed scale, uh, and a partner that was in the energy finance side, we could go and build almost anything. We could go do mm. solar, we could go do wind, uh, we could go do small hydro. Like the engineering side of it, the EPC of it, I thought that's doable. I can find a way right. to go figure all this stuff out. And right. you know, transitioning from one industry to another, you know, I, I had seen the experience, gained the confidence that that's what I wanted to do. Um, so it happened, mm-hmm. the universe uh, listened to what I was asking for, and I got connected yeah. with um, two of my co-founders uh, at Terra Verde Energy, and they were the exact two kind of people that were you know, looking for deploying rooftop solar solution, which I love the, the thesis of it coming from the utility scale side, yeah. um, knowing that the long tail of solar could be very much in the uh, rooftop side. Mm-hmm. Uh, purely based on the, on the assessment that if you overlay uh, solar irradiance, you overlay human population, that Venn diagram looks a lot like a circle. So people are there where the sun is and that's where they're using electricity. So why not go generate electricity there and directly yeah. supply load? And uh, okay. so I got connected with Rick Brown uh, and our other co-founder and uh, uh, Rick had the uh, inception, the idea for founding Terra Verde, primarily with the focus on helping California schools to develop solar and demystify access to solar. And right. that's, that's how we got connected. We had a good conversation, did diligence on each other and decided to give it a go. And, you know, I thought the business had maybe a year. I thought we'd give it a chance. This is early solar days. And, you know, one year has turned into now 13. And here we are. Amazing. Congratulations. I've got a few entrepreneurial related questions for you that I'll, I'll pepper you with later. What's the company's role uh, in the space? How, how would you describe what uh, Terra Verde does? Terra Verde is um, at the core of it, um, provides uh, consulting services on three service areas, mm. uh, on analytics, project development, and asset management. So what we do is we partner with our customers, which are primarily public sector entities uh, here in California. Mm -hmm. And we 
help them understand their electricity usage profile, cost structure, mm -hmm. uh, any electrification plans they might have. Um, so it might come from anything from adding fleet electrification to their to their overall electricity usage profile, uh, water heating, uh, any and all assessments that impacts their electricity usage is what we study. Mm -hmm. We then try and figure out how can we leverage solar energy as the generation source to help offset that usage mm. and then find the best way to help create value from that electricity generated at the site. Got it. That value creation is what gets us into doing a lot of physics and finance and figure out on the base level how much solar can help um, as the wholesale markets, retail markets fluctuate and change. Flexibility becomes quite important. Storage is a big part of the solution set that we work with in order to create value for solar for offsetting demand and usage. Um, other load flexibility, demand response solutions get added in. So we just try to figure out from ground up, um, how do we find a solution here that provides value to that site host? And then if the project uh, physics and finance makes sense and it all can come together, we support our customers to uh, deploy or access those solutions. Mm -hmm. uh, often that's through self-financing, sometimes through third-party financing, or we spec out the project for them. Mm -hmm. So the market can come in and provide the lowest cost or competitive solution uh, with qualified products to install uh, at the site. And then once the projects are built and operational, we stay with our customers for the life of these assets to help them operate it, report on it. Mm. We plug in our software solutions to get access to the real-time data. Uh, we run shadow billing, uh, any and all operations and signaling of things that are not working right. We pick up dispatch technicians and essentially try to help them realize the promise that was once made when the project was first commissioned uh, to happen uh, every year as the asset performs. That's fantastic. That's a great tour. What would you say were or have been the biggest challenges for you as an entrepreneur and building this business over the last 13 or so years? Um, the challenge with this industry, with the solar industry, has, I would say, has been um, the continuation of the journey itself, right? Mm -hmm. And navigating the changes that take place uh, in the industry, some caused by us as the success of solar, some caused by just you know, the, the forces that exist in the power markets. There's a term in the solar industry we use called the solar coaster. Uh, and that's <laughs> referred to the fun of riding a roller coaster that is the solar industry. Yeah. There's a lot of scary moments, there's a lot of fun moments. Yeah, And it's in, in my experience, having been in the industry and my peers, partners, um, I've known for a decade plus, um, we all live and die with this, right? There, there is uh, uh, as, as much certainty as you might think a business that has free input cost, right? right? Sun is free. Yeah. You would think deploying projects and converting that into a business and creating value would be a very easy, steady business, right? But it has a lot of challenges of its own, and um, you know, part of it has been you know having to stay um, ahead of the game. And the game being the 
value of electricity in the power markets so that solar can continue to have value and deliver value to buildings, to load centers. Um, you know, a success case that solar has is that, you know, in the early days or pre-solar, uh, the most expensive cost of electricity uh, was in the middle of the day in California. Hmm. As we've deployed more solar, both rooftop and also at utility scale, the value, the cost of electricity uh, has compressed. And we are now seeing moments on the grid uh, in California and other geographies where the wholesale cost of electricity in the middle of the day approaches zero to negative. Um, so the economic value of solar actually goes away on the middle of the day when solar is at peak production. Mm-hmm. And the uh, emissions value of solar has also gone away because wholesale market GHG pricing or valuation is actually you know quite low and negative too or zero right because right. the grid is quite clean at that moment given the assessments that we make on the wholesale market side right so in some ways you know the success of solar is causing pressure on itself and um, that has created a challenge that we've had to now navigate and get smarter get better and find ways to find more value for for solar so we can keep the journey going and keep decarbonizing right. buildings the world uh leveraging this really low cost technology that's pretty cool yeah no i think just about every aspect of entrepreneurship is somewhat of a roller coaster but i love the <laughs> i love the solar coaster concept you know to play that back what you're saying is that the you know the industry started out with this big vision technology new nascent and over time you know the cost of development and deployment of that has dropped right and so it's become more widespread and so in a place like california there's a lot more of it and it's a lot more of it deployed and you get situations where there's so much of it deployed there's a mismatch between that radiation or solar energy production and the demand because people well i don't know during covid but be interesting to see your perspective there are people leave and they go off to work right that venn diagram you talked about and then suddenly wholesale prices tank right that's known as the duck curve or something like that in california that's right exactly yeah and so there's a, there's a name for the problem <laughs> and it's a big problem and it's introducing all sorts of legislation and things like that and you know what's amazing is you've been running a company where you've had to essentially evolve as the market has evolved right with what challenges and what services you provide and how to look at the space and the roller coaster goes up growth roller coaster goes down all sorts of new problems <laughs> uh, which i imagine introduce new opportunities for your business as well right i mean that's i mean i think you said it perfectly right and uh i think um you speak from experience knowing uh, i think what one of my uh investors shares mike falcone which is you know he always says as uh as a CEO, my job is to be ahead of the business and the industry by a couple of years, yeah. you know, a year and a half, two years. And then as a business, we need to reinvent ourselves every few years, um, five to seven years. We kind of need to be a very new thing. Yeah. Um, and that's what it takes. That's what entrepreneurship, that's what creating new things. And uh, especially in a space where... Um, Every day in the solar space or in the renewable space is a 
um, is a PR, right? Like, so in the fitness world, when you're lifting heavy weights and you, you know, have like a new high weight that you hit, right. we call that a personal record, right? Yeah. The solar industry has a personal record every day, right? And you hear the news, <laughs> much, right? Like, right. Solar hit 100% at this moment at this location in the world, right? Right. Solar penetration hit this number. Solar cost of generation got this low. Uh, so every day solar has like a personal record, a personal best. Yeah. And, um, you know, we have to be writing uh, that and we have to be pushing for that. We have to be ahead of it. Um, and, you know, I share with my team all the challenges that we have in the industry. Um, you know, it's, it's there because um, we need to take on the unconditional responsibility to solve for them. Right. And that's why we're here. And if, if these challenges didn't exist, we can claim victory and I'll go home. Right. Um, I happen to think that the journey is still long and it's about to get harder, but also quite exciting. Yeah. And I think that's probably one reason why you and I are talking today. Indeed. Indeed. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I look forward to spending, I think I got a couple of more decades in my career left. Uh, if I'm lucky, maybe a little bit more. Yeah. Help get this uh, vision realized of decarbonizing our buildings, our load centers, uh, electrifying as much as we can, and using solar and wind, other technologies too. I happen to be very much uh, prejudiced towards solar, so yeah. that's what you'll hear me talk about today. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the journey is long. We got a lot to do still. Fantastic. That that's a. Great tour. I really appreciate you sharing that. Let's shift, let's shift to crypto for a second. When did you become interested in the space and its relationship to clean energy and clean crypto mining? Tell us that story. So the story for how I got into crypto and Bitcoin and mining um, you know, kind of goes back to, uh, I think the first time I became aware of this technology or this um, creation was around the 2013 Bitcoin bubble, right? Mm -hmm. I heard about it. It was interesting. Looked into it. Um, I didn't get it. Um, <laughs> Join the club. Yeah. Primarily because I didn't dig in as deep as I should have. Right. Big mistake. Um, but, you know, put it aside and focus back on, on my business, on yeah. solar and, um, you know, keep doing what we were doing because, it didn't seem to really impact what I was doing, right? right? I didn't make the connection. Right. The journey continued, and like everybody else, the next, uh, you know, the next bubble, the next hype cycle, the next, however you want to call it, 2017 rolled around. Mm -hmm. And uh, this time around, I have a few friends of mine from university that we all made the transition to renewables, all very much thinking about the future of the world, energy, all the stuff that we're doing. And we were talking a lot more about Bitcoin and blockchain and proof of work and proof of stake and, mm -hmm. and all the buzzwords are going around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, we had this moment uh, where we thought to ourselves, um, oh, this thing is still around. Um, and I had this parallel in my mind of what if this is a tool or a technology that us as engineers, as business owners, as entrepreneurs need to know about to either leverage in our businesses or to de-risk our careers against. Um, 
and you know just find out what it is and a lot of it was driven by the blockchain and the blockchain solutions that were being talked about yes and like most people that you know were reading headlines you kind of see it and the the fomo hits you and, and right. you want to know what's going on right so we decided to take this thing seriously and actually started um study group amongst us to figure out um, truly what is Bitcoin, what is blockchain, what's Ethereum versus Litecoin versus Bitcoin. And so that's what we did. We coordinated a study group, met every other week on the weekends um, over a, um, a Google chat room. And we kind of had assigned homeworks for each other to figure out, go study, read the Satoshi white paper, you know, read certain headlines or, or articles or documentation and do research. Yeah. And it didn't take us long to uh, realize that all right, blockchain is a cool technology. It's actually been around for a while. We see its application of how it can be used. Um, mm -hmm. And um, use cases of it, you know, TBD, some promises, a lot of hype. Um, but the thing that really took our attention was the crypto mining side and by and large, the proof of work mining side. That's, um, you know, the biggest chain for that is Bitcoin. And the aha moment, the stumbling moment that we had was Bitcoin is really just a representation of a unit of energy mm. um, that is protected by a wall of cryptography. So Bitcoin in its nature, we thought was really, if you put on the lens of physics and math, that's really all it is. Mm -hmm. It is electricity being spent and it's being protected from double spending, from faking it, from you know, attacking it through math. And it's really that simple. There's a lot more behind it. There's a lot of you know, creation that has enabled Bitcoin, um, which um, it's worth diving into. But for us as individuals in the energy space, realizing that was just the biggest aha moment that we had. And that's, that's where the shift to, or the attention to crypto came for us. From there, we started doing more research around, all right, cool. This is something that is going to, if its journey continues. Uh, and by that point, we spent some time communicating with folks in the Bitcoin space. We had seen the kind of talent that's in there, the will, the passion. Uh, and we saw you know, the other threads around the socioeconomic impact of Bitcoin and the, call it the, the big tent that Bitcoin was building and bringing people in it. And we thought if this journey for proof of work is going to continue, um, if the journey for solar is to continue, which we believe it is, then knowing that Bitcoin uh, needs electricity, we knew that at some point the business of Bitcoin mining and the business of solar generation were going to come together and there mm. would be an intersection there. Mm. At that time, realizing that was actually quite a scary moment. This is around the time where any discussion about Bitcoin and crypto was compared to, at least in, in my peer group, in, in the ecosystem we are in, to a tool for criminals, to it's a tool for trouble, to, um, you know, it's just a gamble. Um, all negative messaging. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then we had realized that, oh no, this actually is something that's going to come into our industry. Like the, the energy needs of Bitcoin is going to be a thing. And, you know, the competition for Bitcoin mining has really by and large two parts. Capital cost structure, mm -hmm. which is driven by essentially equipment cost, installation, operation. Yes. And then the electricity cost, the energy cost. Right. And it's just undeniable that this was going to happen. We knew there were going to Bitcoin miners as as the race got on, as the hash rate grew, uh, as the halvings take place, access to cheaper electricity was going to be needed. Mm -hmm. And the cheapest source of electricity is solar and wind. Um, you know, there's, there's hydro, there's nuclear as well. Um, there are finite numbers of those available. Building those type of technologies, you know, it's cumbersome. It requires a lot of other, um, uh, call it regulatory policy decision, and, and they're very much long-term and take a while. Mm -hmm. Solar, you can build it fast, rapidly. And beyond that, you know, we started experimenting with Bitcoin miners, testing them, utilizing them, and really the whole use case of Bitcoin mining as a flexible load center became very clear that this is a, a flexible load that can buy electricity. And we started and set to work to figure out how can we integrate Bitcoin mining as a tool in supporting renewables, primarily solar, to grow and accelerate adoption. Right. We, the parallel that we were chasing was very much similar to battery storage. Right. When, when we got started into solar, that's all we had to do. Then because of the flexibility needs, the power market changes that we talked about had to take place, we started to gravitate and bring in batteries and storage to get combined and paired up with solar to provide flexibility, demand reduction, and other value benefits, ancillary services that batteries can provide to the grid. Right. And we thought, well, this is the next tranche of technologies that can come in, pair up with solar, maybe pair up with batteries and solar. And what needs to happen here is figuring out a way to build an on-ramp, a solution to onboard solar owners into Bitcoin mining. Mm. And that was, that was it. That was our story. That's how we got to the world of Bitcoin mining and, and solar. And that's what led us to you know, come together and, we have a sister company called Optimize Infrastructure that we started. Mm. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to utilize um, this technology as Bitcoin mining to be brought into renewables to help renewable owners and solar generators and operators optimize their revenues, maximize their revenues, leveraging Bitcoin mining. Got it. Fantastic. I, I love the very thoughtful approach that you take to, you know, making decisions about entering different spaces, the study group, all of those approaches to sort of seeking to understand maybe back to first principles. Were you always like that sort of wired like that to, you know, look at problems that way? Um, I think any notion of wiring probably has to do with the fact that I just need to simplify things for myself yeah. and get things from a, you know, build it up. Uh, yeah. concretely from the very much the foundations. Yeah. 
um, you know, studying engineering in school, they do teach you the principles yes. and, um, you know, before we get to use any calculators or Excel models, we were doing everything by hand through numerical methods or yeah. straight formulas. Yeah. So uh, I think that has been how, um, what I've been leveraging in order to understand you know, our place in the universe, the solutions we're creating, the value proposition. Um, but it also just makes things very easy. Yeah. Once we put the lens of, physics and math on bitcoin it really became undeniable for us right and you know connection of physics and math is very universal because solar is physics and math right building electricity load profile load centers are physics and math right if you can universally talk in that language i think the rest becomes very much just storytelling yeah that's fantastic which leads me to you know my next questions you know, there's lots of discussions, there's different narratives, some positive, some negative, you know, there's a view that Bitcoin has a, it's all negative externalities, no positive. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges or maybe gaps of understanding? I mean, the basis is there must be a gap of understanding for you to not get that there's a positive externality to the technology. What do you think those gaps are and what do you think those look like? What are the types of gaps that you find yourself addressing when you're talking about the nexus between the two? When you're a new company, you've, my sense is when you go to power plant owners and <laughs> developers, et cetera, you've got to sort of educate them, right? And to your point, physics and math, maybe that's maybe that's your that's your superpower there. How do you do it? And what, what are some of the biggest challenges in filling those gaps of understanding? Yeah, I think, look, you hit the nail on the head um it really all does come down to education mm -hmm. um you know the the whole f the the fight that's out there the fear uncertainty doubt on on and around bitcoin look i think um you follow headlines or our friends on twitter um you might think there's a lot of bad actors there trying to kill bitcoin right i think there's a i think that's a small part of it I, I don't think that's by and large why we do not have the adoption that, you know, you and I seem to think it should surely be there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that that issue is around education. And um, you know, what I mean by that is you know, people often ask me, you know, how much should they invest in Bitcoin? Mm -hmm. I tell them 100 hours. Because that's what it takes and putting on that effort of sitting down, opening yourself up to the possibility that you know nothing, ignore the headlines, dig in and start to understand. Do your own research, do your own studies, ask questions, not to drive to a conclusion you have in your head, but ask to truly understand and validate your assumptions. Somewhere along the path towards 100 hours, and I assure you, it does not take 100 hours. Right. You will get to your aha moment. Right. Now, that is easier said than done. Right. Um, you know, most people like to think they will spend 100 hours reading. <laughs> uh, Who has 100 hours, most, Ali? <laughs> Who has 100 hours, you know? Right, it's exactly. Two and a half weeks of full-time work. Right. <laughs> um, now, part of it is that shock factor, right? I, right. I, I tell people there's a lot here. This, this onion has many layers. Right. And, 
um, you know, at some point, this, you know, you will have it, or you'll get over a tipping point and you'll actually dig in more. And I, I don't, I can't even count the number of hours that I've spent studying and right. thinking through the world, through the lens of Bitcoin, but you can't get into it and it just carries you forward. Um, but how we do it with, um, you know, with customers, with people in our, in our peer, um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of it that comes from, you know, going back to this entrepreneurship, um, discussion we've had, which is you gotta be okay with getting punched in the face a lot. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, you know, putting your face out there and telling your you know, customers about Bitcoin, telling, uh, your peers about Bitcoin, telling your investors. First time I told my team, the employees at Terra Verde that, Hey, um, Bitcoin is a thing and we need to take a look at it. And here's why I was scared. I, I, I had to really think through, I'm about to make a step change here and yeah. or take a step change here and let people in my team know that this isn't just what you read, you know, headlines about this, the, all the negative stuff isn't exactly what you think it is. Let right. me tell you about it. Right. And you know, one tool that we use, and I'm very fortunate to have great partners, great team around me is we take it down to the physics and math. We right. uh, pull together a project model. We mm -hmm. distill all of the inputs and assumptions that go into pairing up and powering up a Bitcoin mining farm, um, you know, show the solar production. Um, funny enough, we've been approached and we're working with hydro generators and operators. They want help in this area because right. they've had their own studies and, and you know, we were able to convert our models from solar to hydro. And, you know, again, we just cool. utilize load productions and, and curves. Right. Expose that, open it up, walk through all the inputs and assumptions of a model with them, give them the toggles to tweak you know, what could happen. And it's just been very interesting. You see uh, people that are maybe non-believers or somewhat believers come in, look at it, get educated. They go back, they come back, you know, with their own questions because they've done some research now retest the model and you know, it, it kind of all distills down and the education journey takes place and um, you know, it takes time. We're not there on the massive adoption. It's not yet propelling itself the way other technologies are, but we're getting there and we're patient. Yeah, that's great. Um, so recently we, we wrote this uh, article uh, with Blockworks that laid out what crypto could learn from mass renewable energy adoption. You sort of alluded to the success of solar for crypto to go mainstream. And what's your take on gaining mainstream acceptance or adoption of Bitcoin? And what, what are some of the necessary next steps in your mind? I think in addition to the education we've talked about, mm -hmm. I think that the, what will maybe help us take over to this next chapter, which is what you're posing here, the mainstream adoption, I think it's wide scale proof. And I think the proof that at least I'm viewing and I would love to see happen is that Bitcoin helps with energy abundance, mm -hmm. primarily by enabling a growth in renewables, right? Such that it helps us reach our decarbonization goals as a society faster. Right. Yeah. Um, there is this like lens of abundance and, and scarcity that I try to tell this story, which is 
there's a conversation that takes place in some circles about we have to decarbonize um, or greenify blockchain and 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 you know there's a notion that there's so much electricity that's available and we have to find a way to just put that much of it into taking care of these cryptos and blockchain solutions and if we do that like that's the job that's right. a very small lens that's a very much a scarcity mindset right that you know the individuals that are pushing for that look at it i want to change the conversation look at it through the lens of abundance which right. is how can we utilize these technologies uh this compute this you know bitcoin mining to help create and incentivize more renewables development right making visible the as yet invisible there is a lot of rooftop available. There's a lot of desert available. We can put a lot of solar on this planet. Right. And we can scale up production to get cost structure down and getting the cost of generation down, utilizing mining as the incentive to make that happen. And that becomes not just about decarbonizing this technology that is somewhere between one to five percent of the electricity usage right now you know mm -hmm. the reports of it are wildly varied but it's not a lot and we're not going to save the planet by decarbonizing bitcoin we will save the planet by using bitcoin to decarbonize everything else and solving for that proving that at a wide scale um adoption is i think where we get to change this um, view towards Bitcoin and acceptance of it. Yeah, I love that the the concept of you know turning what is unseen into seen. You know, imagine yeah. for a moment that we had abundant energy, and imagine for a moment that this technology was the key catalyzer for making that possible. That changes your perspective, makes you want to dig in. Why would you say that? You know, <laughs> you mean this can do that? <laughs> You know, and you starts to get you to invest a few hours at that hundred hours, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like the what you said, the catalyzer, the catalyst for yeah. projects to happen. And mm -hmm. you know, once if you get into the world of project finance, mm -hmm. you'll see all the challenges that exist. Mm -hmm. And you see how Bitcoin could help mm -hmm. remedy some of those, mitigate some of those risks. Yeah. We start to see that happen more and more. We start to see people talking about it, you know, energy companies talking about it, wanting to do this. Yes. I think the sentiment will change. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thanks so much for sharing your experience as an entrepreneur and your insights around the crypto industry and its relationship or intersection with renewables. Before I jump to our next portion of the segment here, what would the Venn diagram between crypto and renewable look like? You did a beautiful job of sort of describing people and energy. <laughs> it's a circle. What do you think it looks like for crypto and renewables? Um, the Venn diagram for crypto and renewables? Well, I mean, there is certainly a overlap. Um, yeah. I think two ways to look at it. Historically, mm -hmm. It's two separate circles. Right. Um, it's starting to overlap a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and historically, this has only been a technology that's been around for, what, 13 years, yeah. right? Um, and not even counting the early years where it was 
Bitcoin mining was just on your laptop and right. CPUs. Are yeah, good point. Um, yeah. I think the future, the long tail, um, mm -hmm. and the long tail could very much be forever. Right. Um, let's even take the the conservative case of getting to mine the remaining, um, you know, getting to like ninety nine point five percent of Bitcoin mine. Just just even that portion. Like forget the last Bitcoin. Forget the fees, the transactions, the world it could power on on um, on the medium of exchange side. Mm -hmm. But you know, getting to two thousand and thirty nine or forty, where we'll get to about ninety nine percent of Bitcoin mine. Yeah. I think that Venn diagram is going to overlap more and more, uh, enabling, uh, enabled by the renewables, solar, mm -hmm. wind, hydro. Mm -hmm. um, I think other technologies will be leveraged too, like nuclear will be used. You know, flare gas mining is very much in vogue, and yep. there is a value proposition there. Right. Uh, there are other you know, policies, wills around, in and around deployment of nuclear or utilization of flare gas. Uh, but I think the arc of history is going to be more in favor of utilizing uh, wind, solar, hydro solutions that are faster to deploy, can get cheaper over time, um, and they have more goodwill behind them right? As from a society side. So. I think as we show these two have a connection, these two technologies have a connection, I think the public sentiment will come more and more in favor to support mining and utilizing mining for renewables. And I think the, the Venn diagram will start to get, you know, the convergence will happen, the circles will come together more and more. Well, let's shift to our lightning round now. We're asking a few questions. First is a prediction for the coming year. We're taping in 2022. What's something you'd love to see come true? It doesn't have to be about crypto renewables. Um, what I actually love to see come true, uh, I think this is more um, just in light of, you know, I think this is bridging both of those concepts, but what I would love to see is battery supply and technologies to um, become deconstrained. Hmm. Um, more supply become available because whether it's short duration batteries like lithium ion or some of these newer technologies that uh, are longer duration, I would love to see positive movement in that direction where um, currently we are uh, constrained on supply of batteries. Lithium carbonate pricing is really high. Manufacturing has taken a hit. Uh, mm -hmm. We need storage at the moment as one of the key technologies to help enable growth of renewables. Mm -hmm. We need batteries to electrify transportation. There's a lot of momentum, money is coming behind it for electric buses, electric fleets, right. electric cars. Uh, but the costs and the supply are right now in the wrong direction. We need to course correct that. So I would yeah. love to see that get changed. There is you know, activity behind it. There's momentum behind it. There are companies working on it. Um, we talked to a lot of suppliers in the marketplace. They are, they're doing some interesting things. So I'd love to see that turn around and get us back on, on course. Got it. What's your favorite one or two books in the last year? Oh, favorite books in the last, uh, let's see. I've been... I read every day, so now you're catching me on like trying to find what was my favorite. 
book. <laughs> I recently read um, The Square and the Tower, or The Tower and the Square by, by Niall Ferguson, mm. which is uh, a study of networks. And it, it covers the history of networks from the uh, Freemasons all the way to Facebook and mm. how to look at networks in society, mm. uh, demystifying, you know, the, uh, anything around why networks work and, and how they impact our lives. Um, what I learned from that book was actually quite relevant in what's going on today. Um, so there's this study of, or this classification of networks that he makes in the book, which is um, networks that are hierarchical, mm-hmm. networks that are centralized, networks that are decentralized. Mm. As I was reading this book, it became very uh, clear to me that the battle that we see today take place in either news headlines or in the in the policy side or in the industry between um, government agencies, between um, third-party NGOs, between um, crypto companies like Ethereum and uh, crypto that is Bitcoin can also be looked at through the lens of networks. Mm. Now, government agencies, uh, whether it's local, uh, state, federal, um, you know, they are hierarchical agencies, right? Mm-hmm. They, there is you know, the power markets, for example, the Public Utilities Commission mm-hmm. is under the jurisdiction of, um, of FERC. Mm-hmm. There is a connection to government side all for the right reasons. It's just that's how those networks are. They are hierarchical. Um, networks like Ethereum, like um, other cryptocurrencies that are proof of stake, mm-hmm. they are by and large centralized networks. They have a organization, a CEO, a marketing department. They have people that use that solution, that technology, but it all does roll up to an entity mm-hmm. behind it. Mm-hmm. And then there's Bitcoin, which is a decentralized network. Right. And then studying how throughout history networks have challenged each other Mm. is quite fascinating to draw the parallels of that to see what's happening right now in the world between government agencies making regulation that could be imposed towards all cryptocurrencies, but realizing how centralized versus decentralized networks fare through these battles, through these challenges, it's quite telling. So I really enjoyed reading that book just to learn this simple view that it helped me get out of it. Fantastic. Last question. Imagine you get to put something on a billboard. So California is fantastic, right? Wide open roads, <laughs> billboards. And as an op- entrepreneur in a car, could be his or her car or an Uber, and they're looking at the billboard you created. And the purpose of that billboard is to give them some entrepreneurial advice. And you have to put one word on the billboard and a parenthetical below that word. What would it be for you? Oh, this is purely on the entrepreneurship job, on the, uh, like encouraging it's entrepreneurs. A, it's a piece of advice you would give to a would-be a, entrepreneur that's in one of those cars. Education comes to my mind. Okay. Um, uh, if it's just the one word. And what would the parenthetical be below it? So you get to put a word and then like a short sentence in parentheses below it. What would it be? I really got to think about this one. That's a good question. I like it. Um, fortunately, I'm not good at coming up with short things, but... What would it, what, if it were a long thing? 
you don't have to stick by my rules. You're an entrepreneur. <laughs> I think the, the messaging I have is you know, going back to what I shared earlier, which is um, being comfortable to get punched in the face. Yeah. Right? That, that is like the, what I share with my team when we talk and you know, that's, that's one of our, our messaging. Hey, we're about to go out and talk to a customer, talk to their rep and it's okay have the courage to be out there and share our message and it's okay to get punched in the face. Welcome that. That's how we get to learn. That's how we get to get better. And this is all practice because we need it. This is how we get to improve. So yeah, something along those lines, not the best at writing billboards. I have to say. No, I, that would, that, that would work. So let me see. So I'm driving down and I'm an entrepreneur in the car. I'm going to look at your billboard and it will say, be comfortable getting punched in the face. And then the parentheses below go. it would say, that's how you work. That's how you, <laughs> that's how you grow and learn. Right. There you go. Perfect. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for uh, joining us, Ali. This was a fantastic conversation. It's very good to know you. Uh, it looks like we have a lot in common, so we'll definitely be connecting more beyond uh, this show. Absolutely. Thank you very much, John. Great chatting with you. Yes. And love finding fellow pilgrims on this journey. Indeed. Thanks for listening. You can find more information on what you've heard today in our show notes. To join our growing community, connect with us on LinkedIn by searching for Saluna and following our corporate page. Or tag us on Twitter. We're at Saluna Holdings. To learn more about Saluna and our innovative projects, visit our website at salunacomputing.com and visit our blog, Clean Integration on Medium. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. It helps boost us in the charts and others to find us. Thank you for listening to Clean Integration, a Saluna podcast. And remember, computing is a better battery. See you next time.